KMOX at your service. Welcome to the Helitech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show, presented by Schleider Painting and Home Improvement Company. Schleider Painting, here's your host, Scott Mosby, on KMOX. All right, Brian Kelly, with all the good news about the weather, I mean, it's been a quiet two weeks weather-wise. I guess it's time for some heavy weather, blow some stuff away, flash, fly. Yeah. Holy cow. Uh, did you hear that? Well, anyway. It's the Midwest. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Forest Park balloon race, fun all in the five-state area during the daylight uh, uh, signal of KMOX. And if it's evening time, you will take you all the way to London, uh, sometimes as far west uh, as the West Coast. But we have an hour and a half today. Home improvement. Scott Mosby, I'm pledging you my very best. Uh, Occasionally, I've got Cole Duggar, who's my producer. He will let me out sometime around game time with the St. Louis Cardinals. Stay tuned. We've got uh, 1220 pregame show on the KMOX home improvement show. We'll, you know, we, we, we bow out, we step aside, you know, and those uh, red and white uh, Cardinal Redbirds, you know, the cool guys. Yeah. Okay. Right here. Home improvement. I have time for you. No guests today. This is all about you. Home improvement questions, all the things around your home. Phone lines, 314-436-7900, toll free, anywhere in the globe, 800-925-1120-925-1120. Go around your house. Take a look at the things that need attention. I promise you there are many. Uh, maybe it's outdoors, your landscape lighting, uh, something uh, simple like the switch flips and the light doesn't go on, or perhaps changing light bulbs, LED, CFL, what are the various choices, perhaps LED strip lights, under cabinet lights, various types of dimmers, what dimmers go with what lights. How about energy efficiency, saving some energy? We've got a little bit of a respite here. Nice, cool temperatures might even get a little overnight. Open the windows, sleep, you know, with the windows open tonight, tomorrow. You know, we're getting into warmer or uh, cooler temperatures here next week. So it's kind of fun. This is uh, sneaking up on the October time when (laughs) it's just beautiful in the Midwest here, especially in St. Louis. Uh, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. We're we're really heading into leaf season. Uh, You know, you're noticing, or at least I'm noticing, a few more colored leaves coming out. Uh, Some are getting brighter, some are getting browner. The brown ones seem to wind up on my yard. Uh, And uh, the squirrels and all the critters are getting very active preparing for the winter. Maybe you and I should do the same. So let's prepare. Look around your house. Make sure your windows and doors open and close freely. Lubricate those. Uh, any sliding windows uh, that slide up and down, double hung, single hung. Uh, double hung means both sashes, the top um, panes slide down and the bottom panes slide up. Double pane or double hung windows mean the top sash comes down. And if you think about, uh, you know, the old uh, 100, 200 year old houses, we would drop those top sashes to let the ventilation, the hot air escape. So double hung windows were energy efficiency back in the day. So they were actually technology. They let the hot air out uh, and then typically you'd crack or open the bottom sash and that would bring the cool air in and you'd wind up with a little bit of a circulation or convection loop if, if you think about that. 
So windows, make sure they work. But if you're getting out, uh, think about, um, you know, I don't know. As things get cold, the lubricants or lack thereof on garage doors, overhead doors, uh, hinged doors, the actual door locks, door knobs, dead bolts, all those things, thresholds as well down below, getting those adjusted. It sounds like there's a lot to do, but really uh, these are the types of things that around the Mosby household – I do with a cup of coffee, and I do a little bit here and there. You know, I adjust the thresholds. I check out the weather strip. I open and close the doors. I tighten up the doorknobs, you know, the little Phillips screws around the lock sets. They just need a you know, give it a little bit of love, and it'll love you back. Ignore it or don't call somebody to come maintain it. And it'll be a cause of concern. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. And we've got lots of things to talk about. Let's get to it right now. And uh, let me see if I can get things fired up here. Um, Let's get going. Uh, Get this on. Miss the ejection seat. Don't do that. And let's talk to Sally. Hey, Sally. Scott Mosby, Home Improvement. Welcome to KMOX. How can I help? Hi, thanks for taking my call. I have a question about expansion tanks on water heaters. Yes, ma'am. Uh, my question is this. Um, about two years ago, not quite, but almost two years ago, I had a new high-efficiency hot water heater installed, and I did not have it installed by a plumber. A good friend of mine uh, who knows a lot about things mm-hmm. installed it, and Spire came and inspected it, and said that it was installed correctly. The reason I'm calling is because I recently had a plumber at my home for other issues, and we got to talking about hot water heaters, and he said that the expansion tank needs to be calibrated. Yes, it does. Okay, what what is the calibration that it needs, and how is it done? Well, an expansion tank basically... Yeah, um you're getting a little bit out of my technology, but on an expansion tank, for example, there's usually a bladder or some sort of a shock absorber compression. Um, on some sorts of extan- expansion tanks, the ones that I'm familiar with, Sally, actually have an air bladder in them. If you put a lot of air in it, it's resistant and it'll be very reactive to changes in pressure. If you take the air out of it, it will have a very wide range of acceptance in in gain temperature or uh, pressure. Uh, Temperature and pressure are the same in a hot water system. So the higher the water temperature, the higher the pressure, the more expansion the water literally gets bigger. Uh, Steam attempts to happen, you know, when you get above boiling or close to 200 degrees, that sort of thing. Uh, So the point is that there is some calibration kind of like uh, are, are you at all um, uh, automobile uh, aware of something like shock absorbers in a car? I mean, I know that they exist. I don't. I don't know anything about them specifically, but. I know that they cushion the car when you go over bumps and things like that. Okay, the shock absorber on a Volkswagen Beetle probably would be much smaller than that on an 18-wheel big rig truck. Okay. Okay, so there'd be some calibration. So the changing in the part 
is equates with calibrating. So there's a thing called air shock absorbers for towing vehicles that we use at Mosby Building Arts sometimes when we put big trailers on the back of the truck. We put air into those shock absorbers and it makes them more rigid, more firm. They're more calibrated for a heavy load. The mm-hmm. um, hot water expansion tank has something similar to that as I understand it. So there are lots of different ways and different tanks, but uh, it, it pretty much does because one size doesn't fit all. It's like my shoes may not fit you and your shoes may not fit, you know, whomever. So, yeah, putting it on and and all houses are not the same size. All water systems are not the same size. The expansion tank for your house would not be the right one to put on you know, the White House, it's just too big a building compared. So, yes, they do, and sometimes it's in the purchase and sizing of that uh, expansion tank. So, yes, when Spire came to look at your expansion tank, they looked at the gas uh, fittings on that water heater, and they said, yep, everything's good on that. They didn't really make a judgment because if you're in St. Louis County, any time in the last 10 or 15 years, if you have a hot water tank installed, it's supposed to have an expansion tank. And it's a safety um, uh, anti-explosion at its very, you know, there's a temperature and pressure, that valve that starts to leak when you get a lot of hot water, and it usually goes bad, but the expansion tank is like a shock absorber that uh, keeps uh, water hammer, pipe hammer, and uh, dramatic pressure changes from having consequences. So I agree with your plumbers. That's a long way to say yes, I agree. Okay. I guess uh, my question, though, is, and maybe it has to do with the, the model or the type of expansion tank that I have. Where is the calibration instrument and how is it calibrated? And he told me that the pressure coming into my home, the water pressure, is at, I think he said, 83. Well, and normal high. is about 75. But he said 83 was still within yeah. a normal range. So I shouldn't be worried about that. Right. But the, ex- the expansion tank needs to be calibrated, he said, to 75. Yes. Yeah, you're getting above my badge level here. Uh, You're getting down into specialist things. I know enough that a handyman is not going to help you. I'm not going to know what to do, and a a licensed plumber will. But the the logic of what he's saying makes perfect sense to me. I see. I see. Okay. Um, Well, thank you very much. You bet, Sally. I, uh, you know, when you get to calibrations and finer tune things and subsystems and subtrains, I have to bow out and say, "Yep, I'm going to have to trust that guy that knows what he's doing." And and I know uh, more technology and the nicer things we have in our houses, especially pressure balance faucets and all of that. Those pressure balance anti scald um, temperature valves can be heavily reg, uh, affected by a poorly regulated water pressure and hot water uh, expansion tank. I see. Okay. Well, thank you very much. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Bye. There we go. There's a mouthful for me. Stumped me right off the bat. But uh, uh, it is. it makes sense to me. Um, I know the valves more specifically because at Mosby, that's what we do. We're very – we're involved in some – doggone, you know, shower valves that are very simple to operate, you know, just on and off. But you get behind the scenes on what does it take to make that thing? Well, it's nigh on to a jet engine with three, you know, computers behind it. Uh, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Scott Mosby at your service. I promise you my very best today. 
All right, back together, home improvement. Uh, some great phone uh, questions here. Uh, we've got some uh, few extra phone lines, but uh, in a one hour, we're going to take a bit of a dash. I'm going to get right to it here. Let's talk to Helen. Hey, Helen, good morning. Welcome to KMOX. How can I help? Yes, I'm curious what uh, type of gutters you recommend and when is the best time of year to buy them? Uh, gutters or is this around leaf protection? Yes. Yeah, all of the above. Um, <laughs> the, uh, there's a leaf guard gutter system, which is a one-piece system that is the gutter and the hood all molded into one piece. It's like a four-sided box beam. They stay very straight. Uh, they're very pricey, but they come with a great warranty. The strength is they really work. The weakness is icicles gain on the winter. So if you have, uh, you know, say, temperatures around 33 degrees, 32 degrees, that metal gets cold cold, the snow melts off your roof, uh, hits that cold metal, and turns into icicles. So on a two-story home, icicles can be a problem, sometimes on the leaf guard gutters. Then there's gutter helmet, gutter cover. Those are aftermarket things that slide up and underneath or around the shingles. Um, they work. I like the hooded systems. Uh, they pretty much force the little problems to sneak in through a little crack. As far as the volume of the water on any of those hood systems, they take a boatload of water. They're very seldom the problem. On capacity, uh, the problem is you, that you're buying who puts these in because if your gutters are installed too low and then you add on one of these gutter cover things, um, that basically the water can fly over the top of your gutters. So if, you had a, if your gutters are improperly installed and you just add these things to it, uh, the company really needs to pull those gutters off, raise them back up, and make them work correctly. So there are various levels of performance with those. Then you get into the screens and the mesh and the foam, and they're much less costly than those other uh, gutter hooded systems but they're a little less reliable because they catch and hold debris off. Uh, the finer the holes, uh, the, the quicker they plug up with just sheer dirt and goo off, you know, just environmental things. Uh, so the really fine mesh uh, is, it, it looks like it works, but you get a little bit of ice on there and it, it it stops flowing. So the issue is when you have screen systems, and there's some screen systems I like more than others and some that I don't. There, there's a really uh, uh, kind of a slick foam thing that goes in the gutter, which works great in Florida. But if you get ice, basically it just holds the water, turns into a chunk of ice and freezes and not good things. So again, it, it's um, uh, I prefer the hooded systems and you have to know a lot about the system. Basically, you're buying the company, the prime promise and the warranty. Uh, if they make a good promise and you trust them to come back and take care of it, that's how it's going to work. So in these systems, uh, uh, you really have to pick your uh, company carefully because you're really, um, they're as good as their warranty is and no better. Okay. And when's the best time to buy gutters? Uh, last month. <laughs> I mean, the leaves, when they come, the quicker you can get those leaves yeah, installed yeah. because, uh, I mean, it, it's a real big deal. Um, I'm a baby boomer. There's a gazillion of us. Our spouses don't want us up on the roof anymore. Uh, I can't tell you. I, I know five people that have died in my career, you know, just falling off a roof and a couple more that tried to die and they survived. But just cleaning gutters is just not... Um, 
uh, not for the fate of heart and surely not for the um, uh, second half of the life, folks, which I'm in myself. Okay, thank you. All right. You bet, Helen. Good luck. Good. Thanks. Bye. Bye now. Uh, next up, looks like let's talk to my buddy, Tim. Hey, Tim, good morning. How can I help, my friend? Good morning. Yes, sir. Uh, got a uh, fiberglass asphalt roof that only lasted about 15 years and looking to replace it. And uh, curious your thoughts about the new metal shingles that are coming available on the market and how those work in the St. Louis area. Uh, Tim, what's the slope of your roof, did you say? Uh, most of it's about 412, so pretty normal average. Okay. Um, metal roof uh, has been around for a very long time. If you go back to the corrugated tin of the farms and the, and the uh, uh, barns back in rural days, 100 you know, 150 years ago. So metal roofing is nothing new. There are um, many different kinds of metal roofing. For example, commercial standing seam, uh, copper, solder up, all those things. So metal's a good material. I like metal roofing. Um, when you get into a premium roofing, uh, which metal is, uh, they are installed. Typically, the one you're probably talking about comes in sections and they nail down each piece just like a shingle is. Uh, the issue is how long do they last, how wind-resistant are they, and how attractive are they? Well, generally, when you're buying premium roof shingles, whether it's steel, composite, um, uh, faux slate, real slate, when you get up in that price range, you're into really nice stuff either way. So I like the steel. Uh, the weak point on any metal roof is any penetration in the roof. So uh, your vents for your plumbing, those pipes come through, how those are flashed. Uh, if you have any kind of um, dormers or uh, Dutch hip roofs, those things and the ridge caps. Uh, so my advice to you aesthetically, the uh, some of the metal roofs, they go over the existing shingles and they stand up pretty proud and it thickens the wafer or the plane of the roof. And sometimes it looks a little bit odd. So make sure that you go see quite a few, uh, by quite a few, I'd say three or four different homes around the area of how these things are installed for whom, for whoever is proposing proposing that. And if you like that look, that's good. But again, keep in mind when you're messing with roofs that are in that price range, it's not only the metal that's good. You've got composite shingles that'll last 40 years and 50 years as well. So um, if you're going to that price range, I would look at several different kinds. All right. Thank you very much. Okay, Tim, you bet. And and by the way, I like metal roofs just for the ticket. <laughs> All right, let's see what's happening. Keep we keep rolling here. Let's talk with my buddy Lori. Hey, Lori, Scott Mosby, how can I help? Hello, Hello. Lori. Hi, good morning. Good I'm morning. A, about, I'm about to buy a fixer-upper in St. Uh, Louis County, and it's got asbestos tile on the outside, shingles, asbestos shingles. So what are my options as far as covering it? Can I side it, and what kind of siding could I use? Okay, the question is asbestos siding. Can I side it and what siding? Uh, basically, uh, number one, uh, that asbestos siding 
is a bomb-proof, awesome siding material. They last for half a century. Uh, they paint well. Uh, the problem is you can't mess with them. You can't take them down. You can't change them. Uh, adding on to the house is a big deal. Now asbestos is a, a problem for disposal. So my advice is if you're buying a house with asbestos siding, if you're never going to mess with it, you're okay. Uh, but if you're going to remove it, you're into literally um, an asbestos, a, a hazardous waste removal company. So taking it off the building uh, is something that has to be done carefully. And then disposing of it has to go into special blue bags uh, that, and you pay a premium and a special waste hauler takes it to the dump or else you're just taking it to the dump and then you're poisoning the environment and all the consequences that go with that. Uh, so again, um, I, I grew up with that asbestos siding all over in the construction business and now they do make siding similar to that so when we add on to something we carefully remove you know with a, a abatement contractor part of it and then we fill in with this other material when you remove it it all comes off and then basically you start all over with new siding so any type of siding is uh, possible anybody that says they're going to go over that asbestos is breaking the law and basically should be thrown out before before they finish the sentence. It's it's illegal. It's bad practice. I mean, what they're talking about is driving nails and um, uh, uh, foam over and through asbestos shingles, which means they break, which means the, the fibers become friable, which means they become carcinogenic just by definition. So uh, anybody tells you they're going to go over it um, is full of hooey. Well, thank you very much. It's disheartening because I was hoping I could cover over it. Well, you can with paint, uh, <laughs> but that's about it. And, and again, uh, in a world today, uh, it's only a problem if you want to change or repair. So if a tree hits the house, you're in trouble because it all has to come on, come off. Um, now, what you get for that is if you're removing the siding, you get to fix a whole lot of other ills and, and problems with that wall. But uh, it, the only right way to do that on asbestos of any kind is to have a licensed asbestos contractor come remove it, put it in special bags, and take it to a special part of a disposal place. Okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Okay, Lori, good luck. Thank Bye -bye. you. Bye. And again, it's, uh, it, it's not hard, and, and, you know, full disclosure... Uh, homeowners can remove this without breaking the law. You cannot dispose of it without breaking the law. But if you're removing this stuff yourself, you're exposing yourself or those workers to asbestos fibers, you know, which tends to be pretty bad. I mean, it's measured in parts per billion uh, of what the acceptable limit is. So it's pretty low. Don't mess with the stuff if you don't have to. Um, nine by nine floor tiles usually have asbestos in it. The black asphaltic adhesive underneath those nine by nine tiles have it. Oftentimes uh, the 12 by 12 acoustic ceiling tiles with the little holes in them you see in the basements all over, uh, those have about a 75% probability of having as Just don't mess with it. It's for the pros. The pros have their ways. Uh, it's been researched and regulated. Don't don't mess with it. Uh, once you get asbestos in your house, 
um, and somebody does it incorrectly, whether outside or inside, you've got that stuff all over the surfaces, and it's just not good. Scott Mosby, Home Improvement, phone lines 314-436-7900, All right, Home Improvement, lots of things to handle here. Let's get right to the phone lines. Talk to my friend Steve. Hey, Steve, good morning. How can I help, sir? Yes, hello. Hello, how you be? Okay, I I had a question about uh, under cabinet LED lighting. Yes, uh, I was one <clears throat> wondering if you uh, <clears throat> would you like better <clears throat> the tape that has no case, or do you think uh, it's better to have those lights in so, some sort of a case for cleaning and uh, durability? Uh, the tape is quick and easy. You get what you get, um, but uh, when the tape when something burns out or have something go wrong with the tape, you've got to replace the whole tape. Uh, the fixture type that has individual bulbs and fixtures, uh, I prefer those better because they're more like a piece of equipment. They're priced accordingly and they cost more to put in, uh, but you get kind of what you pay for. Uh, oftentimes the bulbs will go bad or something goes awry and, you know, it's just easier messing with the fixtures. Uh, I, I have installed tape um, when it when it falls off, some, it's a little hard to get on and get straight and put in various places where the fixtures tend to be. You know, you put the housing on uh, and then you put the uh, fixture into it. So right. I, I like the fixtures much better, but they're priced that way too. Yeah. Uh, do you find that, uh, I know some of those are 12-volt and 24-volt. Uh, do, do you find that the 24-volt are better as far as output or uh, what no. do you feel about the different voltage? No, uh, with yachts and boats and RVs and campers and trailers and everything that runs off of 12-volt batteries, uh, the performance of 12-volt systems, and then you get into solar and remote and all that off-the-grid stuff, 12-volt is, is, is great. The issue that you get to is how when uh, – think of voltage as horsepower. If you have 24 volts, you can deliver that power, that electricity, much longer on one strand of wire uh, with 24 volts than you can with 12. So the longer your run is, the more appropriate 24 volts can be. And you can get a little bit more juice out of a 24-volt system than you do out of a 12. Uh, so basically, it's just a 24-volt system is a little more serious. You get a little more control. You've got more juice. You can get just a few more lumens out of it, generally on the higher end. You know, the top end of a 24-volt on how much light lumens you get out of it is higher than 12s. Uh, but, you know, frankly, you, you can get as much as you need out of a 12 or 24. But the biggest deal is if you've got one long run, long being 30 feet, you know, if you're going to run that strand of wire all the way around or that run of fixtures, 24 volt is a better uh, fixture to run longer distances with. Okay. And uh, also I had a question about the dimmers for that sort of system. When you put when you install a dimmer dimmer from the line, you know, 120 volt down to the 12 or 24. Yes. Uh, is it dimming the uh, on the line side or on the downput side that would be the lower voltage? Uh, both, but typically it's on the line side. When you have a dimmer in the wall, it's usually changing the transformer output. Okay. So you're not really directly dimming the the lights. You're dimming a transformer that changes how much 
um, power goes out in 24 volts or 12. So yeah. Okay. So you're actually you're actually cutting the voltage to the transformer. Right. Uh, is what it amounts to, and then that regulates the output voltage on the transformer. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And okay. it, on the systems that don't have transformers, there's a built-in transformer or diode in there. But that's why okay. the you know that's why those dimmers are you know forty or fifty dollars a piece instead of you know six. Right. Yeah. Now, okay. one thing yeah. I one thing I want to warn you uh, on these LEDs on the twelves, twenty fours, and any of these other questions is LEDs are much more efficient. For example, I have LED bulbs in my um, kitchen, and I get up very early in the morning and I make coffee. Well, dimming those down low enough is a little bit hard because, you know, we can basically, you know, roast a chicken with our lights in the kitchen, and I like that. But the issue is how low can you get that lighting when you're dimming them down on a low-volt system? You're getting them down so low that they go off or they tend to, you know, glow a little bit. So, And if you've got the wrong oh, dimmer, okay. you'll, they'll never go off because there'll be a bleed through that dimmer. So that's how you know you need an electronic dimmer. Yeah, I heard that, uh, like, your incandescent dimmers will not work with LEDs. Right, right. And that's, what we, okay. that's yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you have to, uh, it's a whole different way of thinking there, Steve, you know, but... Uh, once you get into it, it's fun and it's great lighting and the LEDs, you know, keep in mind you've got all those temperatures too. So you get up around 3,000, 3,500, 4,000 temperatures of, you know, that light gets really intensely white and bright. Yes. Uh, do you find that uh, a single strip uh, will give you enough downlight, say around 3,000 Kelvin? Uh, it depends. It depends on the, the wattage of output because when you get in those LEDs, you get only three watts. Well, three watts in an LED is like nine watts. Well, that's still pretty low, you know, illumination. So uh, you, you've got to try them out and make that judgment for yourself because they're not the same as an 18-inch light fixture back in the old days. Right. right. Okay. I appreciate the info. Okay, Steve. Good luck. All right. Thanks. Bye there. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby. Take a short pause. Be back for more on X. All right. I know we're sneaking up on a little bit of cool temperature. It's kind of funny to uh, think about the holidays being upon us, but it is. We're sneaking into October. Thanksgiving is just around the corner, and then the uh, holidays for Hanukkah and Christmas are right in December there. It gets started pretty quick. Think about your bathroom and your kitchens and all the guests that are coming to your home. Make sure your bathroom is operational, you know, that toilet, the faucet, the floor's a little worn out. Maybe you've got one of those pink toilets. <laughs> yeah, you know, the 1950s called, they want their toilet back, you know, that pink, yeah. Okay, you know who you are. Uh, or maybe the kitchen, and when you get into changing showers and putting things in that shower wall, don't cover stuff up. If there's any kind of brown or mold or mildew, it's you need to go down to that wall and pull that stuff out. That's very important. When you're choosing your faucets, whether it's in a bathroom or a kitchen, think about the multitude of things. There are so many different technologies, non-touch. Basically, you just tap, tap. You don't really have to turn on or off the faucets. You just touch it with your elbow, whether you've got butter on your hands or anything from greasing up a cookie sheet. Uh, also, you get into managing moisture, whether in a kitchen, your exhaust fan on the kitchen creates an 
negative exhaust pressure. It's basically uh, pulling air out of your house as well as a bathroom fan pulling the moisture out. Keep in mind there's a lot of engineering that goes into those things. Uh, that and a little bit more is going to be uh, handled at a bathroom seminar coming up here October 5th. October 5th, that's in two Saturdays from now. It's at Top Golf in Chesterfield. Starts around 1030. Uh, golf is not included with that. Come out and talk about bathrooms and fixtures and colors and, you know, pink toilets and all those fixture colors, materials for floors, lighting, LED, more. Well, anyway, uh, check out the website at callmosby.com up at the top part. It says seminars. Check right in there. You have to RSVP. Uh, but that's October 5th, Top Golf, Chesterfield, 1032 Saturdays from now. Uh, let's get to the phone, see what's happening with my buddy Tom. Hey, Tom, Scott Mosby here. How can I help? Scott, you've helped me before with bathroom issues. I have a one now where we have three bathrooms, uh-huh. and when I flush the toilet, there's no water pressure in the sinks. Okay. Well, <laughs> how old is your house? 54 years old. Uh, you have uh, clogged up arteries. Um, two things, uh, Tom, and we got into it a little bit. Uh, the pressure to your house could be adequate. Um, and it probably is adequate being 50, 55 PSI and higher. Uh, if you get okay, around 50, uh, go ahead. Uh, let me say when we do that, it doesn't affect the hoses outside. Okay. Then that's your inside piping. That is the piping system itself. So your pressure okay. is fine. Your flow is fine. Your pipes are big enough, but inside there is some occlusion there. Uh, it's kind of like uh, your cheeseburger hardening of the arteries in the medical world. That lime has wow. built up over some time. Uh, either that or your, your valves themselves have lime in it, but your pipes are small enough that when one fixture takes the cold water, uh, the pipes aren't big enough to replenish the supply with adequate pressure. If you have a bigger pipe, that water gets there quicker. If it's smaller, then you're basically trying to get that water through a straw. So regardless of how big your pipes are on a half-century-old house, uh, and I'm guessing you probably have copper pipes then at that point, um, you can have a buildup around there. So it's time to think about uh, usually, uh, we get into that when we start remodeling bathrooms. The question comes up is, you know, well, okay, you know, what do you, when you flush the new toilet, do you want the other three bathrooms to have water or not? And then you get into replacing pipes and all that because when you get the plumber there and all the fixtures out, that's the time. Wow, so I have to replace pipes. Yes, sir. In my opinion, and and there's sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes Tom, it's the pipes down in the basement. Um, sometimes when the house was built, they were all half inch, and you don't have big enough source pipes. Maybe they go up to three quarter, but it's a big deal. Um, there are some uh, companies that will put muriatic acid in the pipes and boil out the lime. That's uh, rather dangerous because you can kind of chew up the fittings and knock those loose. But either way, it's time for a real plumber. And at that point, if you're getting into pipes, it's time to start talking about remodeling at least one of those bathrooms. Okay. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. You bet, Tom. Take care. Bye. Bye. And again, it's not like you have to remodel that bathroom. The point is, is you've got everybody there you need. Uh, You know, you're going to pull the pipes out. You're going to put the pipes in. You have to open up some walls sometimes to get the pipes up. Uh, You're taking the fixtures off the end of those pipes up on the second floor, first floor, whatever. But when you flush a toilet, that toilet basically is calling for all the water and it's taking all the cold water. And you've got hot and cold, so both of those can make up the water on that side. The, The problem is if 
the pipes are blocked up to where you only get little tiny little pinholes in the center, there you just, you know, no matter how much pressure you get, you just can't deliver enough water. Uh, and, you know, if you don't get vo- – volume is not the same as pressure. Um, but when you have volume and pressure, you have a fantastic shower. Uh, so anyway, keep in mind. Uh, stay tuned. We've got the Cardinals coming up next here. I'll be on for a few minutes after the news, weather, and sports on KMOX. Cards on right here on University of KMOX. Go Redbird Cards. Yeah. <laughs>